Podcasting from Knoxville, along the banks of the mighty Tennessee River, this is the Startup Knox Podcast featuring interviews with local entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Brandon Bruce, and today we continue our series of interviews in partnership with Webb School of Knoxville. Each student in the Introduction to Entrepreneurship and Design Thinking course will interview a local entrepreneur. In this episode, Avery Daniels, Class of 2024, interviews Matt Daniels, CEO of Apex Bank. And Avery, the floor is all yours. Okay. Good morning, I'm Avery Daniels, and this is my dad, Matt Daniels. He is the owner and CEO of Apex Bank here in Knoxville. How are you doing today, Dad? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to start off, could you give us a brief description of your business and what you do? Sure. Um, we run two companies under one umbrella. One is a traditional bank with 17 offices in Tennessee. And then we have a second business, which we call our non-core business, but it's actually larger than our core business. It does business in all 50 states and uh, Puerto Rico. And it's kind of a, uh, I explain it as a jump be gone for big banks. Um, so we take real estate loans in large portfolios that big banks no longer desire to keep. Uh, sometimes it's in merger facilitation where one bank's buying another. There's a group of assets they don't want. But that's the uh, larger portion of our business. Well, you kind of just answered this question. Where do you do business in the United States, and are you located anywhere other than the United States? Which we're 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 rare from the perspective that we do business all over, um, but that's kind of always been the part of our model. In order to um, find the number of deals from different banks, you can't really just focus on Tennessee or just the Southeast. We did that early on, um, and quickly found out that we had to expand further, but. Puerto Rico has actually been an interesting market. We, we, we went into that market purchasing loans that were government guaranteed. Um, and now it's, it's actually one of our largest markets simply because not many banks want to be in Puerto Rico. So how did your company differ with the diversity within your employees? Do you have any employees that speak a different language or from a different country? Sure. One of the, one of the great things about starting a company in Knoxville is we have we have a great talent pool from the perspective of having the university here and also having Oak Ridge National Lab, which which brings in talent from all over the world. So we have we have people um, from everywhere. We do have a large percentage of our uh, team members are Latino from South America or Mexico because we service um, a lot of Spanish speakers and especially in Puerto Rico, but also we originate what's uh, called ITIN loans, which are for are foreign nationals. So they're here in the U.S., but they want to purchase a house. It's, it's a niche market. And so we have um, people from all over the world, especially um, in, in, those, in those divisions. And then also in our IT department, we have a number of people actually from India. That's a, a, big, a big draw, um, a lot of expertise there. Interesting. So what is something unique or different about your business? Sure. The um, well, it, it's it's evolved over a, a long period of time. So I, I'd have to give a, a little bit of history. But um, I originally I originally went to the University of Tennessee when I was seventeen, and then um, I was teaching conversational English in Siberia, believe it or not. And I got back from Siberia, and I was broke, so I started calling around looking for a job. And somebody said, "I think I have one for you," and um, Actually, I got a call one day at 5 p.m. saying, meet me at the Copper Cellar at 6 p.m. And it was actually Jim Clayton. And so I went and met uh, Mr. Clayton 
and he hired me. I started work the next day at 8.30 at, at age 18, and um, we went on to, I worked for him for 10 years, um, and that's how I got into banking. So I never really planned on being a banker. I was a finance major, but I was planning on doing other things, hedge funds or, or something um, different. And then um, after working for him for 10 years, we became partners on what used to be called Bank of Camden. It was a very small bank that was founded in 1931 in West Tennessee. And then we were partners for 10 years until about four years ago, and I bought the other half of the bank. So my story is, is kind of unusual because there is, uh, the business itself has evolved from being a traditional um, small town bank to doing business all over. So knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would have done differently? Yes, I mean, knowing what I know now, I could have bet on interest rates and not spent so much money hedging against rising interest rates that never went up. But um, I would have, when I first got into banking, the, the first instinct, because I didn't know much about banking, was to try to do it like everyone else does it. So basically looking at these, these peer metrics, and, and, and in banking, there's a hundred of them. Uh, a lot of other businesses are like that, but in banking is a little bit different because all of our numbers are public because we're, we're government, our, our deposits are guaranteed by the government. So, you know, if you go to FDIC.gov, you can literally look at 10 years of numbers on every bank in the country um, and study them. And so you have a tendency to turn into cheap. You, you look at all your competitors because you have all their numbers and you try to mirror them. And if, if I had one thing I would do over, I would definitely have, have changed because now, our business model is completely contrary. We, we're taking the loans that other people don't want. We make large investments when the economy's in recession. Um, most of our loans pay off when the economy's in expansion. Um, so, you know, a contrarian model works really well if you're in an industry where everybody's trying to be the same. And when I started my career, I was really focused on being the same instead of being different. How did you come up with the name and the logo for your company? Well, it was a combination of things. Number one, I've always um, liked mountaineering. I've not, done any, I've not done any of the big ones like Everest, but uh, I've done um, Rainier a couple of times and Hood and, and some glaciers in Chile. And we wanted something that mirrored um, East Tennessee and also embraced that because at that time we were doing a lot of um, we were doing a lot of promos of flying Apex Bank on the top of summits and posting them for fun, uh, which well, it was fun. Um, but we wanted a short name and a name that was different, that told everybody that we're not a normal bank. It didn't start with first, or it doesn't have state in it, or um, something short. And Apex was had some meaning, and the logo, it, I don't have it on, but is, is a mountaintop. Um, it's actually two mountaintops. The A makes one and the logo makes the second. That's interesting. So what advice would you give to someone trying to start a business? Um, well, first off, I would say be, be prepared um, to fail. Um, I, I would say I've done more failure in, in my career than successes, but the successes have been much bigger. So you've got to be willing to try new things. You've got to be willing to fail. And if you're not failing, you're not, you're not trying enough new stuff. Secondly, I would, I would say with as differentiated as our economy is today, to focus on 
niches, but make sure whatever niche you're focusing on is scalable. We have great ideas all the time, but the markets for those ideas could be tiny. So find a niche that's scalable, that's in a growing market where it's going to expand and be prepared. My career has always been streaky. It's always been a ton of success followed by a ton of failures, followed by tons of success. And, and it's been really volatile. And uh, that could just be my experience. But, um, you know, there's certain days where you just have to, to uh, be prepared for whatever is gonna be thrown at you um, and keep, keep moving forward. So going off of that, what would your definition of success be? I believe my definition uh, as far as occupational success would be doing something where you're you're excited to do it more days than you're not. You're never going to have, or I haven't, I've never had um, a business where I loved everything about it every day. But in, in, in my company, I, I get excited about it more days than I don't. Um, and my other piece of advice would be to do it with people that you respect and care about. Um, most of most of our executive managers at the bank have been, have act, we've worked together for 10 to 15 years. So going all the way back to when I was uh, president of Clayton Bank Trust. Um, a lot of them were still together and we respect each other and we trust each other and we enjoy working together. But that's, it's critical to find a team um, where you, you enjoy working with them. So that's all my questions. Does anyone else have any questions? Uh, you mentioned that you started working for Jim Clayton at 18. Mm -hmm. Did you ever finish college or? I did, I did. Um, so it was, it, was, it was kind of interesting because it was supposed to be a part-time job, but I ended up working uh, most weeks over 40 hours a week. But I, I graduated UT when I was 20 and then went to, um, I actually ended up at Vanderbilt Mortgage, which was a part of Clayton Holmes for a period of three years before I entered banking, 20 years ago in 2001. So, um, and at the same time, I did go to the Graduate School of Banking at LSU, which is a three-year program, which gave me, it's, it's just based on community banking. So, um, for, for what, what I was doing at the time. Yes, you mentioned that you bought the rest of the bank that was already, how, what goes into like buying the rest of it? Were they already open to selling or did you have to convince someone? Well, I, it was the, the other 50%, I had purchased the first 50% going back um, in 08. Um, so buying the second 50%, Mr. Clayton was starting to reduce his holdings in operating companies and just focus on um, more liquid investments. So he, he actually approached me about selling the rest, but it was a good, it was good timing for both of us. Uh, I'm, I'm at, ironically, I'm, I'm headed to his house tonight for dinner with a group of seven more bankers to discuss, this is funny because now he's starting a bank in Arizona. So I don't know um, what role I'm supposed to play in that. And that's, not, that's one of the things, oh, go ahead. Oh no no, that's one. That's one of the things Avery had, had asked me before, as far as where where did I see the business going in the future? And we're really starting to shift from buying, being the junk begone for bad real estate or substandard. They're not. They're performing, but they're not performing well. It's real estate loans to really being a 
purchaser of substandard banks. So we've started acquiring um, other banks, large percentages of other banks from South Georgia to Memphis to uh, Johnson City. And so that's kind of where the future, we're gonna move from substandard assets to substandard banks, so. Um, uh, right now we have 200. Um, we, we do not, we have a lot of contractors um, that work for us. So we have 200 team members and approximately 2,000 contractors. Do you have like an end goal with your bank? Like, do you want to sell or? I would, I would really like, um, like I was touching on earlier, to make it kind of a, um, what in, in finance we would call like a fund of funds, but I'd like to, uh, we have, I'd like to have a holding company with multiple brands and not be active in the operation, but be active more in the investment side. Um, I, I, I've committed that I'm going to, I'm going to be um, in operations until um, my youngest daughter graduates here. So she's in sixth grade. So we, we, we've got a little ways to go, but uh, yeah, that's, that's really the end goal. And we're, we, um, we're preparing right now for initial public offering, but we're not looking for that to be immediate. Um, that will probably be in the next cycle. Uh, meaning the next cycle of IPOs and stock valuations for financial institutions being high. So it'd be more like seven to 10 years, and that would be kind of the exit strategy for a large percentage of our equity. Yes, sir. Uh, you mentioned you you bought like a large portion whatever in 2008. I'm just curious, is that like before or after like the market crash? And did that have anything to go into? That's a great question. So uh, actually I, I bought, I, I spent all the money I had by 50% of the bank three months before Lehman Brothers crashed. So I'm sitting there with all the money that I've ever earned over my career. And I've invested in a bank and the financial market is in shambles. And that's actually what got me, got me off of trying to be a traditional banker and finding out of necessity new ways to do things. And at that time, we immediately went into uh, FDIC purchases from where they were closing banks that were undercapitalized and we were cleaning up uh, failed mortgage companies. So that was, that was kind of the start. So it was, you know, at first, the first week when everything started going down, I was pretty depressed and then I, I started seeing the opportunity. And, and uh, I think a lot of businesses end up in some form or fashion like that. Um, it's, it's a lot of times necessity that creates, you know, the, the real opportunity. Do you have one? Oh, how many branches uh, does your bank have? We have 17 like traditional community bank branches, and then we have um, we do all of our servicing for the country for, for the U.S. and Puerto Rico here in Knoxville. So we we have two offices here in Knoxville that are just they're they're not public offices. They're just for the servicing of loans uh, out of the state of Tennessee, and then we have an office in Puerto Rico. I'm imagining among the 200 team members, you got a lot of folks that are pretty heavy on that. Like a lot of risk analysis for deciding which assets you want to buy, now which banks that you want to buy that are underperforming, but that you think right. no, you we get do. to perform better. I mean, uh, we, we, have, we have a number of CPAs, and a number of, um, of people, I mean, just doing risk analysis all day, every day. I mean, and, and there, that's a, that is a limitless field. Um, and, and it's it's inter it's interesting because a lot of that is also done by contractors. So we're audited by.
by five different entities every year. So you have the FDIC, the TDFI, which is the Tennessee Department of Financial Institutions, the Federal Reserve, our external auditors, our internal, you know. So you're constantly, we probably receive, well, what well, we just had a meeting yesterday, received three audit reports, all risk-based audit reports. So it's a constant. That's, that's never ending in, in finance. Are you guys constantly on the hunt for those assets and or are people frequently coming to you because they know that you're a potential buyer? Um, both. Now, now we've been in the business long enough since 08 um, that a lot of people know us. So we're on what's called a flow basis, meaning they're, they're constantly sending us deals and we're, we're expecting to close XYZ amount per quarter. Um, but we're still looking, I mean, we're always looking and making phone calls. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of another um, another deal in Puerto Rico. It's, there, there's actually a huge auction going on for half a billion dollars in residential mortgages in Puerto Rico right now. So, um, but the U.S., so we pump so much liquidity into the markets in the U.S. that the banks are full of deposits. Everybody's got way too much cash. Every bank has way too much cash. So most of the banks are chasing yield, so they're driving the price of assets up and the yields are going down. So it's really hard to buy anything that's reasonably priced that where you're not taking a lot of interest rate risk. And that's, that's the scariest thing because no one can control interest rates. We can control credit quality, servicing, um, everything else in our business except for rates. So we've been backing off on the purchase of U.S. mainland assets until some of the liquidity from the never-ending government pump stops. Yes, sir. Oh, what kind of degree did you graduate? So my, my I, I was a finance major, and I finished all my finance courses because I, I was taking extra classes. And also, when I entered UT at 17, I had already had 16 hours. So I, I my senior year in high school, I was going to uh, Roan State Community College. Um, for most of the day. So I'd go and check in and then go to the community college. So I had, I had a lot of advantages, but I actually graduated in um, a degree that I think only seven people have. It's business marketing education. That's how I ended up in Siberia teaching conversational English. But I finished all my finance, I mean, I finished all my business classes, but um, the only way I could stay in school was to get another major. And, and luckily, at that time, at that time, at that time, school was paid for, so it was in my best interest to stay, to ground, have have a little bit of fun, you know, for before uh, starting work for forever. Yes, sir. Are you a private or a public company? We're private. We 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 plan to go public in the next seven to ten years. But there's a lot of benefits to being private. Um, uh, being a public company is costly. And you have you have even more regulation and more audits, um, and you're not able you're not able to change direction as fast um, because you know one of the, one of the things that makes our business special is, is if we see an opportunity we can simply move there. If you start doing that with the public company, the analysts are going to say you have no direction or strategy, and then they're going to punish your stock for it. Yes, sir. So when you go public. If you do, are your like your shares of the company gonna be reduced? Yes, I mean typically, typically on a on an IPO, you're we're gonna have to reduce our position to forty percent or lower um, to get the best valuation, at least on the bank side. 
Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for coming in. It's been great.